As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson, and Professor Alistair McGrath. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources, and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Alistair, how does Lewis use symbolism and allegory in the Space Trilogy and, and what are some of the key examples of this, do you think? Well, Lewis clearly um, wants to bring out the fact that um, that there are certain things he's depicting or describing in these narratives which might have a deeper significance. And sometimes he just leaves it to the reader to make those connections. Sometimes he helps the reader to actually link with that. And there are many examples, but I think the one I'm going to give you is the the dance, which is a very significant theme in um, per, the Perilandra novel because it is, it is a very, very powerful um, symbol in its own right. But it, Lewis begins by describing this dance and gets you imaginatively and emotionally engaged with it. And as you reflect on it, you see that Lewis is in effect saying, look, um, the universe is complex, it's all emotion, but it's an ordered motion. It's a beautiful motion. And actually, Lewis uses this Renaissance image as a way of talking about the harmony of the universe and how when you see it rightly, you begin to realize that actually the whole thing holds together and is a, is something of beauty and elegance. And Lewis Angler is, is simply trying to bring out um, the importance of um, using imagery to help you think through deeper questions. Now, Alistair, the theology, in inverted commas, if, if I guess if you can call it theology of the Space Trilogy, is quite complicated in parts. Would you mind just giving us a brief summary of some of the things that Lewis incorporated within the theology of the Space Trilogy? Well, clearly, um, particularly in the first two novels, Lewis does talk about the um, the supreme beings um, who govern, for example, um, Mars and Venus, and does talk about them in terms which suggest he's saying, here's a helpful way of thinking about God. But there's more than that. There's the beginnings of um, an incarnational friend. I think that that is quite important, that Lewis wants to explore, for example, how um, 
uh, in Perilandra, the idea that uh, Malevils um, seems to be articulating almost the idea of incarnation. Our beloved came a became a man. And again, you can see what Lewis is trying to do is to explore theological themes that his readers might be familiar with in this narrative form. Or again, um, the idea of you know the death of um, a certain character being seen as having broader significance for other people and a theology of the atonement, if you like. Now, I think these are interesting ideas, but my own view is that Lewis is testing out this approach and that really, if you like, these narratives are test beds for Narnia because there Lewis is able to do that far, I think, far more easily, far more integrated with the narrative. Whereas I sometimes feel that in the um, in this trilogy, very often when theological themes are brought in, they're not really integrated with the text as a whole, they're almost like things that are dropped into it rather than things that happen naturally. So I think we can see here Lewis testing out how he can not just critique a socially predominant ideology, but actually begin to propose an alternative way of thinking, even though he doesn't really fully develop this, as you and I might hope would be the case. Yeah, that's really interesting, because as you mentioned, there's quite a lot of parallels, isn't there, between Jesus and Malaldiel, or however you say his name. But then there's lots of other kind of confusing elements that that come in. I mean, is, is there almost a Trinitarian view of God at one point, because he says, for many hours, I learned new things about Malaldil, about his father and the third one. Is that is that him trying to sort of articulate a kind of Trinitarian view of God? Well, I think it is, but it's not fully developed. It, it's sort of, um, if you like, saying, look, there might be a resonance between this and the traditional Christian story. But I have to say, Lewis doesn't quite bring it out. It doesn't seem to be integral to his plot. Maybe that's why he doesn't develop it in any greater detail. Yeah, and there's a few sort of quite obvious biblical references as well. I think, you know, he, he talks about Adam and Eve and he talks about sort of the parallels there. He sort of references Babel at, at various points and, and there even seems to be some sort of almost exactly parallel to the Bible references. So there's one line in Perilandra where he says, how beautiful is Maladil and how wonderful are all of his works, which almost seems to be kind of a reference to to one of the Psalms. But presumably, Lewis didn't want to push those Christian parallels too far. No, he didn't. I think it's fair to say that they're there if you're looking for them. And for example, we take the, the title of the third novel, That Hideous Strength. That's actually picked up from a Renaissance writer who used that image to refer to the Tower of Babel. So you can see that Lewis really is weaving these things in and if you see them, great. If you don't, you just keep going with the narrative. I think what Lewis is really doing is it kind of studying his narrative with theological insights, but not really, not really doing very much with them. They're not integrated into the narrative as a whole. Whereas with the Chronicles of Narnia, it's much more thought through. So again, that's one of the reasons why I think Lewis is testing out approaches here. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. 
as you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. So are we best to sort of not get bogged down in the details of who various people are? You know, is is there a God and a goddess, but then is there a God over the top? Who are their Aldea, if that's how you say it? Are we best just to kind of let that skim over us and, and not get too bogged down in the details? Well, people will disagree on this. I'll tell you what I think. And my feeling is that the first time you read these novels, concentrate on just getting familiar with them, reading them. And then perhaps on a second reading, begin to go into the more detail, um, perhaps reading David Downing's very interesting study of these books alongside um, the novels themselves. But I think the real, the real difficulty, I think that many of us now feel is that when we try to read these books, we constantly find ourselves um, you know, stuffering to a halt because saying, what's that? Or what, what's he getting at here? And if you like, the narrative becomes a bit jerky for us because we don't fully get some of the images or some of the, the, the ideas he's wrestling with. Um, and so I, th- I think you may need to read these novels twice. And my recommendation is the first time round, don't worry about these things. Pick up on them on the second reading. Now, what are the things that he does address in sort of fairly strong detail in in all three of the books is is the topic of evil and the problem of suffering in the space trilogy are there any specific characters or events that shed light on lewis's perspective uh, and and is he sort of i guess mimicking any perspectives of the time or is it just his own opinion that he's putting into these novels well i'm sure that um lewis is drawing on um predominant cultural themes um in um, exploring these and doesn't necessarily need to echo precisely what any particular thinker is looking at. What I will say is that um, the idea that um, science is not simply a critical tool for the development of humanity, but that science actually can morally improve humanity, those views were becoming quite prominent during the 1930s. In particular, um, forms of social Darwinism. We understand how the evolutionary process works. So now that we understand it, we can redirect it for our own ends. And so you, a very significant ethical question begins to emerge, which is, um, do we simply try and work with things as best we can? Or do, in effect, we take control of things with all the risks that this entails because we don't know where this is going to take us? And Lewis there is really being critical of those who, in effect, are saying we need to reshape and refashion humanity. Lewis is quite happy to work with us as we are. 
So this there, I think, is, is really picking up on, on quite an important debate. And one of the things that I think is very, very clear is that Lewis's readers, particularly of the final novel in the series, are clearly wondering if science has unleashed possibilities which we're not ready to cope with. That actually these are these are things that we just cannot handle morally, and therefore it's going to change things. And once we change them, we're not going to be able to go back to the way they were. So we're making irreversible changes. So Lewis starting is picking up on a concern about the way things are going. And one of the topics very much linked to what you're saying just there, Alistair, is is exploring the relationship between science and religion. I mean, Lewis does that in quite a lot of detail, doesn't he, in the Space Trilogy? He does. Um, and he's doing it in a, in a way which is, um, which is really trying to force us to reflect on where we have come from and where we're going. And Lewis's concern is that we, we are simply, if you like, um, sleepwalking into the unknown and that we need to learn from our past, which might help us prepare for the future, but also that actually we are now able to do certain things. And once we do them, we may find we end up in a new situation and can retrieve the, the way things used to be. So it's a real concern for Lewis. And I think I have to say that um, in 1945, with the two atom bombs in, in August 1945, a lot of people began to think, have we done something that now puts us in a much more dangerous situation? Are we now living in a much more unpredictable and uncertain world that we're simply not ready for? And Lewis, I think, almost anticipated those concerns and engages them very well, I think. Well, you've definitely already touched on the idea of evolution, but do you think that's something that Lewis is expressing in the trilogy? Is he expressing his own opinions about evolution? Lewis um, often talks about evolution in his works. The main thing he says is, I just can't get my head around this. It's actually, it's very difficult for me to to, to see this as anything other than counterintuitive. That, that's a very um, natural reaction to it. But I think Lewis is able to take certain people who, um, who represent, if you like, a sort of evolutionary natural perspective and show there are some big problems with this approach. Now, the reason he's doing this is partly to counter H.G. Wells, who in effect, offered a, a, an account of a sort of evolutionary naturalism. But actually, even H.T. Wells was aware that if you tinker with evolution, things can go very badly wrong. Think, for example, of H.T. Wells's famous science fiction novel, The Island of Dr. Moreau, which is about what goes wrong when you try to redirect the evolutionary process. So I think what Lewis is trying to do is, without overwhelming his readers with science, is to, in effect, say, there's a very important question here. We need to engage it because this could all go very badly wrong. We, I mean, we've touched on the kind of theology within the Space Trilogy and the fact that we maybe don't want to get too sort of stuck on the details. But presumably, it's incredibly significant that Ransom himself is a Christian, isn't it? Well, it is. I think that what Lewis is trying to get us to see is that Ransom brings a perspective to bear on this. And it's not the same perspective as, for example, Western. And Lewis is trying to help us to see that we all bring worldviews to bear on our approaches to situations. And those shape our expectations and our interpretations. 
And what Lewis, I think at several points, is inviting us to do is to judge how good these worldviews are in terms of the the moral character of the people who hold them. I think it's, it's, it's almost like a way of taking a worldview by judging the character and the actions of the people who hold these worldviews. Thank you for listening to this C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. We were hearing there from Professor Alistair McGrath talking about one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction, the Space Trilogy. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources, and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.